This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. They don't make them quite like Rob Smith anymore. Rob is a native southerner and true outdoorsman who's been obsessed with fishing for almost 60 years. I'd heard of Rob, aka The Mustache, through various mutual acquaintances, but only after an introduction from one of our members, thank you Palmer, was I able to finally invite Rob to be on the show. In this episode of Anchored, Rob shares how he went from game warden to landscaper to fishing guide, and we cover stripers, muskie, trout, and more. I was born here in Atlanta, and not necessarily raised here. I was... uh, we moved to Memphis when my dad was in the medical school. And then we moved to Augusta when he was doing his internship. And that's where we did that episode of DOS Boat in Augusta. And uh, then we moved to Denver for two years of Army for him and then back to Atlanta in 1970, which took me a half a day to find the Chattahoochee River about a mile from our house. <laughs> how did take long. How'd you find it? Do you remember? Oh yeah. I uh, walked out our backyard and walked straight downhill to the creek, followed that creek to the next creek and two more creeks. I found the river. <laughs> so, and uh, that's me. I was just going to where the big water was. So do you mind and if it's I- been Oh, sorry. Go, go, ahead. go ahead. I've got to get used to the southern to the southern way of speech because if I recall, everything just slows down just a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll settle yes, into your cadence. Does. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Sixty-two. 
Okay. Do you remember how long ago it was when you ventured down to the river? 1970. So you would have been, that's my polite way of getting you to tell me how old you were. Yeah, 11. 11. Okay. Did you fish before then? Oh, yeah. Very much so. <laughs> what's, my, uh, what's the story there? My, you know, my dad loved to trout fish. And uh, my grandfather, father just loved to fish for everything. And he was, he was, uh, he provided everything for me to fish because he loved it that I just really liked it. And uh, so I took it from there with, with a lot of gusto. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, it was a lot of problems because it was more important to me than school was very Mm. much so. So were you fishing, if you started in Georgia, you're fishing for trout? Uh, no, not at first. Uh, you, the, where we fished on the Savannah River in the DOS boat, we probably fished there once or twice a week when I was growing up in Augusta. So, you know, I was anywhere from five to eight or maybe four to eight. And, and, you know, we, we had a boat and, uh, went fishing quite a, quite often on the Savannah river. So, so actually when we did the show, it had been 50 years since I'd actually fished the part of that river. And so it was, uh, it was really exciting for me to get back on there 50 years later. That's a big river. It was great. Yeah. And it's fun. A lot of stuff to do. Um, uh, do a lot of shad fishing there now with uh, even trying to learn how to spay. Oh, good for I'm you. not good. <laughs> You'll get <Yeah>. there. <laughs> well, when Sooner did you, or later. When did fly fishing enter the mix? When you went to Colorado? No, it was uh, probably when I was about five or six. We had a farm pond. My grandfather did. And uh, he was the gentleman farmer. He was a, an attorney, but he was the gentleman farmer that had his southern farm pond. And uh, so I go out there and catch bluegill and and bass on the fly rod. My dad, my dad was that one that that got me going on that. And uh, I've been hooked on it ever since. You know, it was brim and bass forever. And then I started stepping out and got into stripers and, you know, everything. Trout when we were in Colorado and trout when we moved back here. The The river here in town is one of the southernmost trout fisheries in the country. Mm-hmm. But fly so. fishing for bass and other panfish and just various species 50 or 60 years ago, that's early. How did your dad get into it? Uh, we had... My grandmother's brother, who's a doctor in in the small town they grew up in, he was uh, he would take every Thursday off of every week and go trout fishing in in trout season, or brim or bass fishing in in the rest of the year. So he would take my dad when my dad was young, and that's how my dad got started. So you know it 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 came to me honestly. And I took it to a, 
a completely different level than than they would ever know. <laughs> Were they regretting their decision to take you out when you started skipping school? Because I'm assuming you probably started missing school by ac- by accident. Yeah, it uh, it it was a lot of being grounded. <laughs> I, I was grounded for like a week at a time. I get off, get in trouble for fishing again, and be grounded for another week. So. And it didn't take long, usually a day or two. <laughs> Did you have anyone so, you really looked up to back then? Like, was the my, fishing industry a thing? Were there any sportsmen you really admired? Uh, you know, I had every magazine. Uh, and back then, I'm talking Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, Sports of Field. Those were the top three. And they were really strong back then in the 60s uh there was one or two local ones but you know if you want to see anything trout fishing or fly fishing you had to go to one of the top three and you know you, you had lee wolf and you know kurt gowdy would be on some of them but it was it was right at the start if you fly fished you probably only trout fished back then you know, and occasionally somebody would write something about bluegill or or bass or something, but mainly trout. That's all you saw. Mm-hmm. It's way different now. Yeah, yeah. I'd love, and we'll get there. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on what it's like now. I've got 10 million things to talk to you about, so I hope you're ready for some uh, some rapid fire here in the next little bit. Let's go. <laughs> but let's let's keep going on this timeline. So obviously, by the time you're a teenager, it's officially going to be in your life forever. Were you starting to think about what you wanted to do with yourself when you were out of school and off into manhood? Uh, That one's always been a very tough one because, you know, my family was uh, very professionally oriented attorneys and doctors and all that. And I knew that that was not for me. I, I could not see the light at the end of the tunnel to sit down and study that hard. And uh, I just couldn't go more than a couple of days without fishing or hunting or something like that. And, and uh, so I ended up going completely different. And I worked for the state for a couple of years in wildlife management and uh, didn't enjoy that as much as I thought. And I got transferred to some areas I didn't like at all and got out of that and went into landscaping, which, you know, I got that honest too, because my, my dad was one of the founding members of the botanical gardens here. And so I love plants and, and growing and, and all of it. And so I, I did that for a little over 20 years. And then in the last few years, I would not taken a vacation. And uh, I owned my own business by then. And I took a two-week vacation on a hunting trip in Wisconsin. And when I came home, I was driving to work and just got all just freaked out and decided that, I'm done. 
and I went to work in the fishing store. I sold everything I had landscaping, my whole business in one week, and and went to work in a fishing store. Wait, wait, wait. I have questions. <laughs> okay, so were you a game warden? Yes. What about that job in particular did you not like? Because a lot of us think, well, that's probably what we should do. We want to be outside all the time. But was there something in particular that you really didn't like about it? Uh, no, it wasn't the job. It was uh, the some of the people that I worked with oh. that, that was difficult. The job was probably the best job that I've ever had uh, as far as enjoyment and and most of the people I worked for. But I I was transferred to an area where the guy that was in charge of that area did he and I did not click. And, you know, I was young in my twenties and I said bye bye. <laughs> and that was probably my greatest regret ever. But you know, when you're twenty four or so, you know, what do you know? Yeah, no, I understand. I hear you. I, wow. Yep. I've lost some sleep on some of those nights. <laughs> Just why would I say that? <laughs> yeah. What do you regret? Do you regret walking away? Do you regret the way you left? I regret walking away. I I would be retired completely now with, you know, uh, with a full pension and all that. But it's probably good that I didn't because I, I, I'm very happy with where I am now with, you know, the whole fly fishing industry and, 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 uh, being able to be a part of such things as this, uh, it never would have happened if I'd, if I'd have stayed working for the state. So, you know, and life has gotten so political and it's so different now with social media. I would imagine it's a totally different world than it used to be. Extremely. And I'm not a social media person. No, I see that. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I learned a long time ago that if you, if you tell everybody stuff, you know, and I work in the fly shop here now. And if I, if I tell everybody all the information they want to hear, that all I'm going to do is see them down there. And, you know, so it ruins my fishing. It ruins the fishing for I was guiding a lot for until just recently and it ruins the fishing for all my customers and so i was very protective about where i fished and you know you i wouldn't even just take anybody it had i had to know who they were and know that they didn't have a boat and and really didn't think that they were qualified to have a boat so then i would take them right yeah (laughs) No, I understand. What about the landscaping thing? What about it was your real wake-up moment? Because it sounds like it was something pretty sudden. Uh, I I think that after about five or six years of no vacation and, you know, and I knew that I probably wouldn't, I, I was just worked to death and I came home and was completely relaxed for the first time in a long time. And then I got in my truck and started to go to work. And it was just, I was, 
anxious, you know, and, and I was like, you know, there has to be something better than this to where, you know, I can enjoy my life, do what I want to do, do what I enjoy doing. And, uh, I, I think it was a good choice, you know, monetarily, probably not, you know, but, you know, everything's not money. It's, it's enjoying life. And, you know, my, my dad loved trout fish. He bought four acres on the river here so that we could all trout fish, walk out the back door and go trout fishing. And, uh, he never used it that much. We had to force him because of work. He was always busy. And then he passed at a very early age and, uh, really didn't get to enjoy it like he thought he would. And, you know, I'm, I decided a long time ago that was never going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could, any one of us could drop the next day and you don't know. So I try to do everything I can. Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. So then what was it like transitioning from having your own business and being on the go seven days a week to, getting into fly fish or into fishing, what was the first step that you took? Uh, one of my friends owned a fishing store and it, he, he wanted it to be a fly fishing store, but it wasn't. And, uh, he always needed help. And I, I was already kind of part-time helping just whenever he needed somebody on a, on the weekends and, uh, you know, hoping for a discount, <laughs> you know, that's what that was. Yep. And, uh, you know, when I asked him, he said, I really would love for you to come on and, you know, cause I always work. And, uh, so we, we did okay with that. And then he was not a good manager. And so he ended up going out of business. And at that point, I went to work at the Fish Hawk in Atlanta. And, you know, in many ways, that's probably the the best thing that's ever happened to me because we're we're one of the biggest retail stores in the country. Uh, You know, sell a lot of rods. And, you know, we have a huge customer base right here. And everybody in the southeast knows us. And, you know, I dare to say that most places you go, if you mention the fish hawk, somebody's going to know something about it. So, you know, and it's been in business for almost 50 years now. Oh, wow. When did you yeah. go there? What Do you remember what year that was? Uh, 85, uh, no, 2005, I think. Okay. Wow. We're in 2022. So quite a while ago. Yeah. And so are you the manager there now? No. What do you do? <laughs> I mean, I know you guide and we'll get, I guess that's my next question is when did you start guiding? Were you working at the shop first? No, I was guiding long before that. I, uh, when I, when I was still in landscaping, I was guiding trout fishing and, you know, I, somewhere in the mid nineties, I started fly fishing for stripers in, in uh, one of the reservoirs here where Henry Cowan does it on Lake Lanier. And uh, then I started 
you know, fishing in some of the rivers around here that had stripers. And I learned how to do that and, and, and learned how to, I did it pretty well. And that's when I started transitioning from trout guiding to striper guiding. And, you know, did that for many, many years. And now the, the whole fishery is on the downside. So I've I've really backed off from that, and I I may not guide anymore at all. Okay, you know, it's I not just, that you can't get clients. Is it that you feel that is it an ethical thing? Yeah, I could I could get clients. I could get I could take if I stopped work, I could probably guide for you know the entire summer from April till October, uh, almost every day if weather allowing. It's it's not that it's the the fishery is really bad, and you know, for many many years, you know, it it wasn't catching one or two fish; it was catching ten or fifteen fish or more. And now it's it's gone. And you know, I if I go out there, I'm hoping to catch one or maybe two, and if it's really good, three. But you know, I just can't promise that to anybody. I know no guy can, but, you know, I almost could. And, you know, I just don't feel right, you know, doing that because people know me and they think that I'm just downplaying it, and I'm not. It's really gone. Is it water quality, overfishing? It's uh, it's overfishing a lot. It was many years there weren't many people at all doing it, if any. Now, in certain parts of it, there's a lot of bait fishermen out there. And as soon as that started, it really started dropping off. And, you know, now you can go and you may see eight or ten different boats out there in one day in in two miles of river. And uh, it's just it's, it's not fun anymore. And, you know, I don't feel right taking people out doing it. Do you remember the first time that you noticed that it was starting to become congested? Uh, yes, it was It was about five and a half, six years ago. You know, I, I saw like two boats in one day, which to me, that was that was a traffic jam. I'm, I'm not used to seeing anybody down there. And, uh, and you know, it it was a few more, and then people that I knew on the river would call me and tell me, I saw so-and-so in a boat, or I saw three boats today. And, you know, it's – I had it for over 20 years or close to 20 years, more than that, for a long time. And, you know, I had it to myself. And, you know, I feel pretty lucky that I did. We've had some wonderful – fishing days out there and, and wonderful guide trips. I made a lot of friends and, you know, repeat customers constantly. And, you know, it, it was great. And, you know, as with most good things, it's done. So what's the deal with bait fishing? Is it that, and and before we go there, I should probably ask you some more questions about stripers because admittedly I've never caught one. And the first one I ever really saw, I was actually in Atlanta and was teaching on, what's the big river? The Chattahoochee. That's it. And this beautiful, 
big silver dead, unfortunately, fish floated by me. And I was with Lewis Cahill. I know you know Lewis. And yes. he said, that's a striper. And I was just dumbfounded by it. I've never seen one like that before. There, it was way bigger than I thought that it was going to be or that they were going to be. So um, I really don't know, know, know that much about them. Are they an anadromous fish? Are they where, like, what's, what's the biology behind stripers? Originally, they are anadromous. They, uh, the first place they, they got trapped in South Carolina behind Santee Cooper dams when they, uh, the lake system just north of Charleston. The, uh, I think it was in the 40s when they built those dams. And, you know, people started seeing stripers a few years later. And, you know, they weren't stocking them in there. They just got trapped in there. And, and there was enough river above those lakes to where they could, you know, have a successful spawn. And, you know, when they figured it, that out, all the states around in the southeast started you know, stocking them, you know, in their lakes. And uh, we have a lake here that was, it's a 70, little over 70 miles south of here on the Chattahoochee. And, you know, the lake was built in the early 70s, mid 70s. And, you know, they stocked it with stripers. And there was a, there was a, Probably ten years there, they didn't stock any. They went. They went to nothing but hybrids, which is a cross between a white bass and and striper. But there were still stripers in the river, and you know we started catching some. And for many years, everything you caught was twenty pounds plus, That's good fish. And you know we, I don't know how, you know they it kept going because we weren't seeing any small fish, but they were all big fish. And it went on for over 10 years. And then they started stocking them in West Point again. And then we started getting a lot of fish. And, you know, um, I've caught them, you know, 35 pounds is the biggest. And yeah, that's pretty good fish. That's and enormous. One of, my, one of my customers caught it. I didn't. I caught my personal is like thirty, oh. but uh, it's it was a great fishery. Are but they just eating you know, all the little ones? Why only big fish? Uh, I don't know. Uh, they weren't stocking any, you know, down in the lake, and but I think that there was there were had to have some spawning going on. And, you know, finally we started seeing some fish in the five to eight pound range that, you know, it was like one year they must have had a good spawn and and uh, it was successful. So, you know, you give a fish half a chance and, and they'll be successful. Some of them will. Nature's always going to find a way unless we mess it up. But they do have the ability to spawn. It's not like they're like triploids or something where they can't no, spawn. No, no, no. They they can spawn. And and uh in the state of Georgia we have two subspecies. We have an Atlantic species, which we they stock in all the rivers that and lakes that go into the Atlantic. Then we have an Apalachicola 
species that that uh, goes to the Gulf, and it's the only strain that goes to the Gulf. You know, because the the uh, Chattahoochee River used to run straight down through there, but it's they're they're trying to get the genetics right at least anyhow. So. And then what is their personality when it comes to fishing for them? What are they like? Are they shy? Are they aggressive? Because in my head, they're this predatory species where I'd be quite, oh, yeah. you know, it'd be an aggressive strip back. Am I thinking about this right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a strange deal. Everybody thinks of stripers as low light conditions, you know, you know, late afternoon, early morning, cloudy days. But on the Chattahoochee, uh, it's been more successful on bright sunny days, bright sunny days, and you know beating the banks. So you you I'll get to where we can make a long cast into the bank, and it needs to be within a foot or so of the bank, and then get it coming back. And uh, if you can't hit the bank, you won't catch as many fish. So, you know, there were times I had to get people closer, but, you know, you, you really need to get it on the bank because those fish will be right there and they may follow it all the way back to the boat, or there may be fish in the middle of the river that you pick up, you know, that'll just come up. But, you know, uh, there were times that if people did not strip all the way back to the boat, they go to pick up and you'd see one just fly out of nowhere trying to catch that fly and uh Oh, too late. So is that why bait fishing could potentially be so dangerous because they just can't help themselves? Oh, they can't help themselves. They, I learned this fishery. I've, I've fished in every kind of way possible. I always have. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I'll use other techniques as a tool to learn something. And that's pretty much how I learned the striper fishery was, you know, with bait and, and conventional tackle. There was always a fly rod in the boat. But, you know, if things were tough and I, I was trying to figure out where they were living or what they were doing, you know, I would I used to break that out and, and figure it out. Yeah. And then I could go home, tie some different flies or or get different lines and, and go try it out. and. You know, it it uh it worked, and I can promise you, bait. If you know how to use bait, it's it's very very dangerous to a population of stripers. What kind of bait are you pulling? Plugs or like the cut plugs? What are you doing? I know when. So you're talking to a salmon and steelhead gal. So when I fish bait, I used you know row or something. I used to use like squid legs that I dye pink, so they look like little worms what are you using for stripers because i'm assuming they're not taking a big row bag no but they probably would oh okay oh yeah they would um the best thing that you could use was cut herring okay so you cut your and and we have blueback herring here but most people it's it's illegal to use that on the chattahoochee but in the lakes you can um we have uh we have shad and, you know, a couple other kinds of shad. And, and then, you know, people will use just regular cut bait, brim, you know, bluegill, cut up, anything. But the herring is is just like candy to them. They love it. So when did the bait ban come into place? 
There's not a ban. Uh, do you think there should be? Oh, yeah. Do you find that you get stuck in some sort of controversy there? Because I was watching you on DOS Boat, and I love, I believe an angler should be able to fish everything, or at least know how to fish everything. And I saw you using soft plastics, which just immediately gave you a tick in my book because I'm a huge soft plastic fan. And I saw you with bait and with the fly rod, and I thought, that's a fisherman. And it's tough, though, because I know for me, I get criticized when I fish anything else because most people know me as a fly fisher. And it's like, well, that's not that's not really fair. What about you? Do you find that you get pigeonholed or stuck in a corner with some people? No. Uh, our rule of thumb at the store is rule number one is when you go saltwater fishing, you know, or off on a trip, always carry a spinning rod or a casting rod with you. Always. You know, you never know. It, I went down to Brazil at the first of the year, uh, January 1st this year, and I'm still kicking myself for not taking a casting rod because the water came up about 10 to 12 feet the week before I got there, and I really needed a casting rod. So, uh, so no, and most of our customers think it's the greatest thing they've ever heard is, is, is that, you know, you should have a spinning rod. There's times the fly rod just will not work. And if, if you're off on a trip, you want to catch fish. So, you know, it's not a bad thing to have, have it. Uh, I do have customers that will not do anything but fly fish. It's, it's you know, you're going to have that too. And, you know, if they want to hate on me, they can. But, you know, I, I, like to do it all. And, you know, if you need to, you need to. Yep. No, I hear you. So what about this whole yeah. pressure thing? How many people, if you see 10 boats and that's too many boats or too many people, I mean, to me, that doesn't sound like anything crazy, right? I think the bulkly where I live, 10 boats. All right. Totally manageable. I think yeah. about Montana. Why with stripers on that section of the river is 10 boats too many? Genuine question. I th I think that a lot of the fish get killed, you know, by mishandling, by, you know, with social media, everybody needs 47 pictures for every fish. And, you know, one day I was out there and this fish came by me, about a 12-pound striper, and it was floating. And I knew there was a guy that was about a quarter of a mile up there, and, and, and I, I could hear him, and I knew his boat. And, and, you know, here comes that fish and he has to take a lot of pictures for social media. He's, he's just a big picture guy. And that I picked up the fish and he was just, just had died. And I knew what that was. And I, and, you know, an hour later I saw another one and, you know, you see quite a few dead fish. You already mentioned that y'all, you saw one down on the river come floating by dead. And uh, the the people that are live bait fishing or cut bait fishing. Wait, you can fish live they, bait there? No, but uh, they do. Okay. Yeah. But they and but they can fish cut bait. And um they get gut hooked a lot and and those fish they're probably going to die 
you know, everybody says, well, they'll be fine. You know, stick a hook down in your stomach and pull it through your stomach lining and see how long you live through that. So, yeah. So what about the people listening right now who are screaming at their phone or their computer and they're going, nope, it's, it's not pressure. It's survival. It's survival somewhere. You are. So these fish aren't in the ocean. So we've already, or they are in the ocean. Is it? No. They, they, no, they're not. They're, they're in the lakes. They're, we have, I think there's six or seven dams between here and, and the Gulf. Okay. So it's not ocean survival. So what else could it honestly be? Uh, Can they net the river mouth? No. Oh. No, it, it runs into a lake down there, but there's, there's, probably 50 guides down there on the lake. And right now, believe it or not, the limit on stripers under 21 inches is 20 fish. Wait, what do you, you can retain 20 fish under 21 inches? Right. But I don't understand. Why is that? Unless they're trying to get rid of an entire species. That, yeah. It's, well, that's the problem is, you know, the the white bass, the hybrid bass, and the stripers, you know, that are all under 21 inches, they look similar. And anybody, you know, I can look at them and, and see a big difference between any of them. But, you know, people were complaining about getting tickets for for having over the limits. So what they did was everything under 21 inches is... 20 fish over, over, uh, 21 inches is two. It's still confusing. If they're trying to bring them back, how how can you tell the difference between a white? Cause I have caught white bass. How can you tell the difference between the two? The body shape is, is very different. They're, they're a little bit, uh, thicker through the middle. Yeah, I feel like the white bass I caught compared to the dead striper I saw, the striper seemed more streamlined. Right, longer, skinny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh and the uh the white bass is is a little more thicker throughout the middle of the body. Yeah, and the hybrid is as well. You know, the hybrid does get bigger than the white bass, but the hybrid will have broken lines and the white bass will have straight lines and you know, the stripers generally have straight lines, but not always. Coming up, Rob and I continue our conversation. Before I move on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because I want to talk to you about Muskie. Is there anything, I feel irresponsible walking away from a conservation focus to just talk about fishing for a different species. Is there anything in particular that we need to talk about before, about stripers before I move to the next topic? Anything that anyone needs to know who's listening in the area? Well, I'm, I know some, we have some recently new appointed people on the DNR board and uh, we're, I'm going to really bend some ears this summer when, when the fish get up this far and I'm going to take a couple of them fishing and, and hopefully I can, you know, we can have a halfway decent day where we catch a few and uh, just kind of explain to them uh, and maybe we can get some changes here. You know, uh, I would, I just want to get rid of the bait. I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to try to take away all uh, artificial fishing, whether it's fly or conventional, but I want the bait gone. And, you know, it's a very unique fishery. And, you know, we're in a big city, big city. I can't remember how many millions of people we have here, but it's a big city. And we had an awesome, great fishery for many, many years that, that is gone. And, uh, that part of the river at one time when I first started fishing was a great trout stream. And with all the growth here, the water temperature started rising. And by the mid nineties, it, it was just too high to support the trout on that lower section of the river. And so now there's no trout in there. And, uh, it, it was incredible if, if we just had time to talk about that. That could be a whole show. It was crazy good. Yeah, well, you could, we but, have all um, the time in the world. I mean, I don't know what it's late for you, but what – I mean, I, it's funny because I've only fished in Georgia twice. No, I've been to Georgia a few times. I fished once, and I was on the Chattahoochee a second time, but not really fishing. It's teaching. Um, the fishery that I was experiencing in Georgia was a small stream, like a little trout creek. Right. And it was one of the most unique fisheries. I, oh, no, actually, I've fished. No, I have fished quite a few days in Georgia. I can't remember where else I was. It was a long, a larger river. But it's so wild. And it's not at all what I expected because I think of Atlanta as being this really big place. But just a few hours out of Atlanta, there's incredibly quiet, tranquil streams full of fish. Is, is that the sort of stream that you're talking about when you talk about trout? Or are we talking specifically right now trout on the lower stretch of the river? On the Chattahoochee, wow. the lower stretch. So how were they yeah, brought it, in there? Did they get put in there years ago? Yeah, it it was uh, – there were some guys that got into the hatchery a little bit back in the 60s, and they may or may not have been working for the DNR at the time. It's kind of a secret. Okay, I couldn't tell if your may or <laughs> may not was a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But right, gotcha. it is. <laughs> okay. And, um, 
and that's how it got started up below the Lake the Lake Lanier Dam. And you know they they survived. They did well, and they're still doing well. As they don't even stock browns in there. They haven't stocked them in ten or eleven years now, and they and they're doing great. There's not enough food in the river to grow a lot of big fish. And, you know, years when we have a shad kill in the lake, you'll see some bigger fish because they, they'll eat everything that comes through. And they'll, you know, they'll grow. But if they get big enough to where they can eat hatchery fish, then they've made it. They can they can really start growing big then. But that's what it takes because there's, there's, it's not a, a rich river. They've cleaned it up too much. What do you mean? Too much. Uh, the entire <clears throat> three counties that, it, that it, it came out of was very rural until just recently. And, you know, there were farms, you know, cows and horses, chickens and all that. And everything washed downstream, which supported the bug life. And then once all that went, and now it's all subdivisions and houses, and the bug life went with it. And so now there's just not enough food in there to support the fish and grow big fish. Do the stripers and trout compete? There's a dam in between them. Oh. So there's a small dam that was uh, it's probably 80 or 90 years old now, and that's in between. So they, they keep them separated. Gotcha. What's native to that river? Shoal bass, largemouth bass, and and you know catfish, all your warm water species. Right. Oh, I love catfishing. Is there yeah. conflict there? I know that I've, I know certain people who would be screaming that all the trout and the stripers should be wiped out and just let the river get back to what it used to be. What are your thoughts on that? The the stripers originally before the before we built all the dams on the river, there were stripers in this river. All right. So there was the Gulf strain of stripers that were in this river. So, you know, they have a right to be there. The shoal bass, you know, were always there. And the problem with shoal bass now is the water temps are too cold oh. for for good production until you get further south. You know, it, it used to be cold enough for trout. Now it's not. and But it's too cold for the shoal bass. They, the Flint River, which is a, uh, one of the main tributaries on the Chattahoochee that, you know, runs down south. It's, it's fishery. is There's not a dam on that river. And so they have great shoal bass fishing. And we have so-so shoal bass fishing because the water's too cold. I'm trying to envision a map of where the water's going. Where does that water end up flowing down to? Flows from here southwest to the Alabama state line. And then it, it makes the state line all the way down to where Alabama and Florida and Georgia all come together. And that's the Apalachicola. And, and then it just flows right into the Gulf down there. Um, when I think of Georgia, I think of it getting busier. And but when I think of Alabama, I, think, I still think of it being kind of low, well, not low key, but not as busy as Georgia. Is that Deep is country. that inaccurate? Yeah, I mean, I lived no, in Arkansas for a year, so I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what it was like down in the South when I did used to spend some time over there. 
It's not quite like Arkansas anymore, but yeah. <laughs> so it's Arkansas still technically like do you still oh, think yeah. of that as the bush? So yeah. I love I love that. I think if I was gonna live somewhere, there's lots of places I'd like to live, obviously on the coast, but I liked being in Arkansas. I liked yeah. being out there feeling like I was in the bush. Can you can you still feel like you're in the bush the more south you go from Atlanta? I can take you places inside the city limits on the river and you'll feel like you're in the bush, you know, and, and that was a great thing. And you can come around a bend and look up and see a skyscraper, you know, and, you know, which I don't much really like to see, but, you know, they're there and, and people think that's pretty cool that, you know, you're way out in the middle of the country here and then yet you round a bend and there's six flags. We, drop, we go right by six flags sometimes. So. See, I hate that stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I like too. to pretend like I'm from a hundred, you know, hundreds of years ago. Exactly. But okay. So tell me about you then personally, because I kind of get that vibe from you as well. Do you feel this is going to come across as really rude, but I just don't, I'm not great with the whole filter thing. Do you ever feel like you've not sold yourself out, but do you feel stuck? being somewhere so busy because you need to pay bills. If you had it your way and you never had to pay a bill for the rest of your life, would you just disappear or would you still be near Atlanta? No, I would be out of Georgia. I, uh, when I was young up until the mid eighties, I thought Georgia was the greatest state in the union. Just, I really thought it was great. It had everything I wanted, had great fishing, uh, I hunt, I don't hunt big game. I hunt birds, quail and, you know, stuff like that. Grouse. Uh, and we had really good hunting back then. Now you can't find a quail in the state and it just, they're, they're become kind of rare. Uh, the fishing is not what it was when, you know, 30, 40 years ago, even close and uh, right now, if if I could cash out and go, I'm going to be somewhere in probably southwest Idaho, Oregon, Washington State, in that oh, really? triangle right in there. Yeah. Yeah. Why? What about that appeals to you? Is it the the ocean? Is it the fit? Like, there's a million things. No, what still, is it about that? Still eight or nine hours away from the ocean, but I love that country. I love the PNW. It is, you know, I uh, did our honeymoon out there about 12 years ago, and I just, you know, I never wanted to leave. I just would love to stay there. But uh, the it, it has everything that I want. It has, you know, a lot of quail hunting, a lot of bird hunting, and it has good fishing. And and it's all natural, mostly. You know, you can you can go out and, and not see anybody if you want to work hard enough for it and just get away. You know, I'm not seeing big cities. I cannot stand cities anymore. <laughs> I cannot stand them. But, you know, it's, it's I wish I was there now. So what's stopping you? Because you could get a job anywhere. There's ways to live off the grid. There's ways to make money online. There's a million ways to do it. You're still young enough that you can get out. You know, you're not, you're not in your eighties or anything like that. Not in your seven. You're still early sixties. You said, yeah. Yeah. 62. 62. 
I mean, my husband's 50. So for me, 50, 60, it's all the same. It's all pretty young. <laughs> you can get out and go. What's stopping you? I can do more than most 50-year-olds can. Yeah, so. right? So why not just get up and, and go? And I'm sorry, Fishhawk, if you're listening. I'm not trying to poach him, but. No, nah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my wife, she's just not ready. You know, uh, she's real concerned about being prepared for being retired. And we're close, just not quite there yet. And I, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, you know, that's fair. I, that's yeah. Fair. Did you ever I will have be kids? gone tomorrow. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Did you have kids? No. You guys don't have kids? No kids. I gave you three years and you're out of here. That's, I'm going to go ahead and set the timer. There's so many ways you can play with money and do things and plan and budget. And with automations nowadays, with finances, there's so many things you could do. I give you three to five years and you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I won't get you in trouble here with your wife or your work, but I will segue into, into Muskie. So I see that you've got this real fascination with Muskie. Where did that all come from? Uh, I don't know. I like catching weird things. I like fishing for different fish you know uh it's just anything off the wall through through town here we have a major or major waterway through town it's not the Chattahoochee river but it's called peach tree creek and when i was a kid it was the cesspool you know of atlanta everything ran into it and you know it was as polluted as could be now it has fish in there and, you know, they're just little, you know, uh, sunfish, brim, uh, four or five different species of, of brim, uh, occasionally some bass. In the wintertime, when they were they, we had the delayed harvest on the Chattahoochee, the trout would swim down river and then come up Peachtree Creek and we'd have trout in the middle of, of town. Right. You know, under these expressways and all that, and nobody knew it. And, you know, nobody knew it. Are you allowed to talk about this here? Should uh, everyone take uh, their headphones out right now? <laughs> no, we're good. Okay. We're good. Uh, they didn't have the delayed harvest this year, so there's no trout in there. But, you know, it it was just the weird places, the weird fish. And some time ago, I found out that they were musky in Tennessee, were the closest ones. And that's wow. three hours from here. And so I started fishing for those. And, you know, it's been a challenge, you know, learning about musky and, you know, sea fish and, you know, just have follows and uh, it's, so that was extremely challenging to catch something that, you know, the fish of 10,000 casts. And I know I'm way over 10,000 just in Tennessee, you know. And, and then uh, three years ago, I had a chance to go up to Virginia and, and fish with a master, and Blaine Chop. Blaine, yeah, 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 he's great. Yeah, oh, he's he's my hero. <laughs> he is. And uh, we hit it off, and now we're friends, and and it's one of the greatest things ever. And you know, I never would have had this without being in the industry. Uh, and 
you know, I went with him last year and the first day, and I'm fishing out of the back of the boat because my buddy has yet to catch a fish. And uh, about 30 minutes into it, I catch one in the mid 40s, you know, and, you know, pretty happy about that. But it was too early in the trip to catch a fish. And because then you had to sit out the rest of it. Well, no, I was still fishing, but, you know, you catch one too soon. It's like catching one on the first cast, you know, Mm -hmm. and and with muskies, you know, an hour is the first cast. So uh, I caught that and then, you know, we fished all the rest of that day. And the next day it was raining and snowing all day, all day long. And we we could not figure out what was going on, and Blaine and I were talking, and you know, we he he made a little cast and and got hooked up, and I watched him. I made him cast. He he didn't ask to. I made him cast, and uh, I watched everything he did. Yeah, well, know, do tell. I, what did he do? Oh, it's uh he just did it right <laughs> you know it, it it wasn't much different than what I'd been doing all day but he he knew that particular spot better than I did and and I just could not get dialed in on it did he have to get down cuz as soon as i hear snow oh, yeah. i just think oh you got to get down different angles different flies what did he what did he do did he cast farther upstream like what were the subtleties that he did he let it sink for about a second and a half longer than I did. And he got it right into the hole. So my very next cast was the results were on the picture of fly fisherman magazine. Okay. (laughs) Huge. That's awesome. So that was that same day. Yeah. Last cast of the day. It was about five, five 30 in that five o'clock in the afternoon. That's the way to do it. So yeah. what kind of lines are you using when you're fishing for muskie on a cold day? It's uh we're using SA lines and uh some some heavily weighted like to sink 30 clear type lines which are not great in cold weather but you know they're coming out with some new lines that I'm probably not allowed to talk about. You know That's Blaine right. has some coming but you know looking forward to that that are you know developed for more cold weather but kind of have the same taper so that you can throw these big flies i mean the fly was 12 inches a game changer 12 inches do you feel like clear intermediate lines are just i don't know i was talking about this with marty shepherd the other day we both feel like clear intermediate lines or even clear sink any clear lines are being um they're underrated Right. A lot of people have kind of forgotten about them. Cause I remember when I first started fly fishing and it wasn't as long as you, but it was still well, so over 20 years ago. And that was the thing. Like you wanted to have clear lines for coho. And I just assumed that they would only become more popular, but they seem to have dropped off. I don't know why they've dropped off. It's, it's, uh, I use it for almost every species I fish for. And, uh, yeah, I I used it down in Bolivia in October. Used it in mm-hmm. Brazil. Use it here and and you know musky fishing everything. I'm always using. I'm not going anywhere without a a clear intermediate line. 
It's just maybe my it's favorite. just the Pacific Northwest. That's because probably as as it. The lines got fatter. The lines got more condensed. Obviously, sink tips are all sorts of colors now, primarily gray if they're sinking. And I, I know that they just, I've watched the clear tips sl- slowly back away. <clears throat> and it wasn't until I came actually down here to Australia that I started to realize that, oh, people do still use these just in different situations than we do for salmon, steelhead, and trout. Mm-hmm. Do you use a clear line for trout? Uh, for throwing streamers. You know, we, I went out streamer fishing last Thursday, uh, hoping to catch a with one of the young guides, like 21 year olds. And, you know, we were, we wanted a fish over 25 and we didn't come close, but, you know, I caught 13 Browns and, uh, all on a streamer and, uh, mostly on the intermediate line. I started off, we had a little faster water, higher water, and, you know, was using a, a full sinking line. And then, you know, as the water dropped a little bit, I went to the intermediate. Right. Gotcha. Speaking of water dropping, have you found that fish are more bitey when the water is coming up or when it's coming down? Uh, I like it more when it's coming up. Really? Okay. Yeah. Do tell. See, again, this is also species to specific. A point. To a point. Okay. You know, it gets, when it gets too high, you know, then you uh, – I think the fish will move and then you have to go find them. They'll move to the banks. uh, If at least on our river here, I think that, you know, a lot of times I can do well when it's coming down until it gets dead down. And then, you know, you have less current and they'll turn all the way off on that. Mm -hmm. Why do they do that? It's the same thing here in Australia with tidal systems. As soon as the current goes, everything seems, or, you know, changes. feels like everything, when it's slack, stops biting. It's not moving the bait. The You know, Mm -hmm. you start getting some current in there, and the bait doesn't deal with the current as good as the big fish do. And so they'll get moving around, and, you know, they're being forced to move. The fish turn on and start eating. And then, you know, when it, when it goes through its cycle and comes back down, you know, they'll, they'll move on, on the, when it's moving and then they'll stop when it gets down dead low. I was fishing dead low the other day for Australian bass. And I noticed that when I'd strip my popper back through the bait, that they would all jump, you know, how they just spray. And I had always assumed that that would be the ideal ambush spot for a bass is that, or Mm -hmm. any fish that's eating bait is that they would find the school of of bait that's not moving and then ambush them. But is that wrong? Are they more likely to target them when they're moving with the current? Like you said, I think, I think, you know, you won't see as much action when there's not much current. And then, you know, when the current starts and those, the bait fish start really moving a lot, you know, you'll, you'll see the bigger fish turn on. Right. Do you have yeah, any advice yeah. for somebody? I'm, I'm totally asking for selfish reasons now because I'm. This was just <laughs> five days ago, and I'm remembering the situation. I was fishing under a dam, and the tide was on. It was a slack tide, mm-hmm. and I, within five minutes of being there, there's just this crazy activity, and there were a number of bass in there, and there was just bait and boils everywhere. Uh, it was honestly a little bit overwhelming. Is that something that would happen to you down where you are? And if so, how do you manage it from a fishing stance? The the toughest days 
uh, were when they started changing the generation schedule and or how much water they were putting out. If it was a, a really low flow, uh, like 800 CFS versus 1,000, which, you know, 1,000 is kind of the low flow, but sometimes it would drop down to 800. At 800, it was really hard to catch fish. You know, 1,000 to 1,100, it'd be on. And, you know, as it, if, if it was up to about 2,500, you know, it, it's pretty good. And then the, it'll drop off on that because usually the uh, the water gets picks up too much dirt and gets muddy. Yeah. Can the fishing get become good when it's like that? It's, it, if you change tactics, put the fly rod down and, and get conventional out, not bait, but just conventional with, with big plugs that make a lot of noise, yes, it can get good. Right, right. Fair enough. Have you seen those artificial, or what are they called? They're animated lures? Probably. They're these, I think it's pretty new, and you plug them in. I don't know if this is considered cheating. I, th- I think it's experimental. So I, I bought a couple of these animated lures and I charged them. And then when you put them in the water, the water triggers something and they actually, they're robotic. So they move. Oh yeah. That's something my grandfather would have bought all of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried one yet? We, no. we weren't able to, to use them to be fair. Fishing was good. We didn't have to. And I didn't want to lose them because they ended up costing like a hundred bucks each and they took forever to get there. Oh, they were a fortune. I don't recommend buying them unless you know somebody because I paid full price. I thought it was a scam. It took like three months for them to get there. Two lures ended up costing me like 287 Canadian dollars, <laughs> something ridiculous. But they're really, really funky. And uh, and I'm excited to give them a go. But um, didn't know if, yeah, I didn't know if you'd seen them or if the fish hawk sells no, them. No, no, we, I haven't seen them. I, uh, usually you see that stuff in ads somewhere. And I, that's I, a, yeah, I'd seen it in an ad. I don't know. <laughs> I totally bought into it. Yeah, I, I'm not on places where I'll see that many ads very often. So I think someone said to me on TikTok, I will send you a link because I think that it's worth oh, just knowing I'm that they exist. my wife hasn't shown me then because she's the TikTok lady. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link. Um, okay, I've got a few more questions for you and then I'll start to wrap it up because I know it's getting late there. Um, bucket list species. If there was something that you could catch tomorrow that you haven't yet, what would it be? Well, that's interesting because my bucket list trip was to Bolivia. And and that's one that I really wanted to do for many, many, many years. And I went back in October and I saw all your videos and all that stuff. When, oh, are you with Marcelo? Went, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, it's just trip of a lifetime. I wasn't with Marcelo, but I was at Pluma. And oh, Chucky, so Chucky yep. and that whole crew, they all knew you. You know, um, that you was, think of the trip? That was the best trip I've ever been on. And I tell everybody now that that's right back to the top of my bucket list, you know, because it, it's just something that, you know, I didn't want to leave and I just want to still want to go back. It, it's still like as if I've never done it. I still want to go back. And uh, it was more fun. And, you know, it's, it's the greatest place. That's except so those, funny. I give the same answer when people wait, except for those what fascinated by what you're going to say. The the little uh, sand flies 
Oh, oh, see, we didn't have any of those, believe it or not. I, very last day, I made a mistake of wearing shorts to, to leave. Should not have done that. But that no. was the only time I got bitten. Yeah, so. right. Did you, so were you guys catching Dorado and so which one did you prefer? Did you prefer the Dorado or the, um, what's it called? Paku. Paku. Yeah. I, the first fish I caught was a Paku. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, I only saw three others the entire trip and, you know, wasn't able to do anything with them. Uh, but the Dorado, it was like every day. It's bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, How, how's it going to get bigger? Next cast, even bigger. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it, it was just the greatest thing ever. And, you know, they attack with reckless abandon. They, they'll they be in, in three inches of water, a 20-pound fish in three inches of water, you know, and – you know, we had a big rain and the river got muddy and everybody was very worried. And I'm like, no, these fish live here. They have to eat. You know, they're just going to move shower. And fishing was great, you know, even muddy. And it was great. Yep. And, you know, it's just, I loved it. I've, I've never experienced that before. And I've loved it. And the culture, the bit of danger out in the jungle, it's my its my favorite trip I've ever taken. Um, yeah. Were you able to eat a paku? No. I don't know if they still do that, but we kept ours because we were on a camping trip and we just needed some good food or some fresh food. It is, hands down, the best fish I've ever had. Not just because I was starving. It's real fatty. And the ribs, it's got the, these crazy ribs that are like pork ribs. So you eat them, you know, how you eat we barbecue ribs, you eat them yeah. like ribs. Oh, ridiculous. So good. So what's next for you, Rob? I feel like you're just entering the next stage of your life. I don't know. I'm uh, the store that I work at, the Fish Hawk recently sold. So we have new owners. And, you know, I've, I've known both of them for many years. I've fished with both of them for many years. Uh, one of them is very young and has a, he was on the U S youth fly fishing team. So he has a Euro nymphing history. He, he doesn't like to claim it. He's, he's one of the best casters that I've ever seen. He's very good on everything. Uh, you know, and the other one has, you know, just loves fishing has been the customer for a long time. And we've all been, or the two, he and I have been friends for many, many years. Uh, we were both in Gray's Journal together about eight or nine years ago. And, you know, so it, he's now he's an owner, you know, so I'm looking forward to this and, you know, being a big part of that, least for a few more years, however yeah. long they, until Sorry, I can no, move out west. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, three years. Yeah. <laughs> what, about, what about the mustache? When's that coming back? I loved it. I thought I thought it looked great on you. I, it's, it's usually gone by now, the, the beard. It's usually gone. Uh, when it gets warm here, I'd usually get rid of it. And 
it's always been seasonal. The mustache will stay. It's always been there, but the, the beard will go. Um, can I throw a couple rapid questions at you and then we'll wrap it up? Certainly. Okay. Craziest thing you've ever seen on your home water? Wow. Um, I don't know. There's been anything super crazy other than, you know, rescuing some people here and there, you know, uh, a lady, a lady and her son turned over a kayak and got pinned. And, uh, I think it's a very good thing that, that we were very close to them because at that time there was nobody else on the water and it could have been hours before they got out. Yeah. Not everyone can say that. Yeah. Have you ever seen a Jaguar down there? Do they have Jaguars down there? Here? In or Georgia? Panthers. Is it Panthers? Which which are the we, ones that are we, in They they claim that we don't, but we do. Have uh you seen one? mainly mainly in South Georgia. Um because they there's lot a fair amount of them in Florida. So they they wander up into South Georgia. Some of them will wander around you know, town and, and make it to North Georgia. You know, I've seen them on, on people's trail cams. Uh, but the state will tell you no, but there, there's some here, not a lot. You know, it's, it's, it would be very rare. We have a lot of bears, but, you know, uh, the, the Panthers is going to be more South Georgia, Florida. Gotcha. What are your thoughts on tube flies? I'm I'm playing with those now for shad. So, you know, little little ones and it's it's pretty cool. Uh this is a new experience for me. You know, I've I've tried to play with it some, but one of our employees is part-time, you know, is retired from Smith Optics. Oh, cool. And and he worked for him for 29 years. He he kind of ran the southeast. And so he and I went out last year. Uh, I, I finally, after all summer, I finally got a new motor after mine blew up in the spring. Took took like six months to get it. So I, I took him out there and I told him, I said, we're going to be doing a lot of riding at slow speeds. I said, when we get to places, we'll stop and fish. And so he brought a couple spay rods and he thought it was the greatest thing ever watching me fail <laughs> or flail either one and uh he just thought that was great so now my goal is to to get good at it so <laughs> you will just slow it down if in doubt That's just it. slow it down it's yeah. hard to do it's hard to slow I down <laughs> i know uh, what are your thoughts on uv tying materials I think there's days where it will definitely make a difference. And I think it's more so on the sunny days. You know, it's, it's like flash, uh, whether it's UV or not, you know, flash usually works much better for me on a sunny day than it does on a cloudy day. And, you know, I think it's going to be the same thing with the UV. You know, it's, it's hard for us to really see the difference in, in a lot of that stuff, but, you know, we'll see. Cool. I'll wrap it up. And then I guess my last question, I just want to know so I can spread the word is, are you ever planning on hosting trips? Yeah, we're, uh, I'm, I'm doing one to Brazil. Good. When? In uh, November, I think October, November. 
I had I had one booked for the COVID year number one, and so that all got canceled. And so we're they're opening back up. So I'm going to start in no doing that to Brazil, and then uh, the the fish hawk has not been hosting has not had hosted trips in like 15 years and we're going to bring it back so mm-hmm. you know uh, i'll be hosting quite a few trips after that i could I see that being such a good fit have yeah. you ever been steelheading do you have any interest in going steelhead fishing or, or salmon I, fishing? i have there? a great interest for it i've done it uh if you want to you can't call them steelhead great lakes rainbows well. <laughs> Yeah. Those Michigan fish, I, they they fight like to, they fight like steelhead. Those Michigan fish, they look like not, them not all they, the states they, do, but no. But I've I've caught I've caught some in or one in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and mainly in New York. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but it's, nothing it's on the fun. Pacific. You haven't been out in grizzly country in the wild wild west yet. I've fished the Deschutes uh, several times, but I haven't done it at the right time. And you know, I'm I'm really excited about it. I have all the equipment. I I don't have the ability quite yet, but yeah, you know, I will. Cool. I think uh, now if people want to reach you, because I know that you're not really a social media guy, but I know that there are going to be people who want to come fishing with you. How can they get a hold of you to do that? Uh, either call me at the Fish Hawk or. Um, uh, Atlanta mustache on Insta- Instagram. Yeah, perfect. Or, I'll know. link that up too so that they yeah. can find you that way as well. Okay, cool. Before we wrap it up, is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me? No, I think this was great. Thank you for coming nervous. on. <laughs> I, why? I, I hear that all the time, but I, I never know why. I guess if you don't do a lot of podcasts, you don't know what to expect, right? Yeah. You know, I've never, well, I've kind of did one and it was with close friend and you know they were a bunch of pranksters so that's all that was <laughs> <laughs> was there a lot of beer drinking oh, i'm sure there was plenty on the other side <laughs> that, that <day>. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah no doubt well look honestly i think you're just an absolute gentleman i was really genuinely looking forward to getting to hear more about your story so thank you for sharing well, it thank you very much for having me this has been great it's a great honor i appreciate it Oh, thank you. Don't be a stranger. Stay in touch. I'd love to fish with you someday. So if you come out west, oh, or you come here. (laughs) Well, I actually do have to get out that way in the next year. But you, if you can ever get down to Australia, there's this fish called a Murray cod. Yeah, I know. I've seen them. I've seen pictures of. I think you'd be all about it, and I think you'd be a real stick out here. Cool. Yeah, that that would be great. Well, don't be a stranger. Stay in touch, right. and I'll let you know when this is live and going. Thank you, April. Thanks, I really Rob. appreciate nice. it. All right. Likewise. Bye. Right. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. Bye.